Here at Truckers Against Trafficking, we recognize that individuals are sold for commercial sex in a variety of locations, which includes areas where professional drivers would intersect with them. The same is true of labor trafficking. Transportation was number 10 in the top 10 industries associated with labor trafficking victims in the U.S. on temporary visas reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline and Be Free Text Line. Individuals exploited when an employer compels or deceives them into providing involuntary labor, often through use of violence, threats, manipulation of debt, or blackmail, number in the tens of thousands in the U.S. From agricultural work, domestic work, construction, restaurants, landscaping, and illicit activities, these are just a few of the places labor trafficking cases have been reported. And that's what I am so excited to talk to you about today. I know with Truckers Against Trafficking, we've talked a lot about sex trafficking, and I want to give time and understanding to labor trafficking, because these are things that are happening in areas where we can recognize and report them. And how powerful will that be for this force, for this professional driver industry to really take arms against labor trafficking? Hello everyone, my name is Helen Hofer and I'm the Freedom Drivers Project Director for Truckers Against Trafficking or TAT. And you're listening to our podcast, Driving Freedom. I am really excited to be here today with our guest. We talk a lot about sex trafficking at Truckers Against Trafficking and it is so critical that we address labor trafficking as well. This is something we can come across, recognize and report and I'm thrilled to be able to equip you guys to do the same. I'm thrilled that our guest today is Rafael Bautista. He's a survivor of labor trafficking, expert speaker, advisor in many ways, and I'm going to go ahead and have him introduce himself. Rafael, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Helen. Thank you for inviting me to, to join this movement, um, Truckers Against Trafficking. It's an honor to be here. I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Rafael Bautista. I'm a survivor of labor trafficking. I'm a consultant for the Department of State, NITAC, OBC TICTAC, Blue Campaign, and many more uh, federal and state organizations in my community. And I know even just listening to that, and I, I went ahead and did, you know, I listened to you speak. Um, you have some webinars out there. You have some great uh, trainings that you speak on. And you speak on a lot of really powerful topics. You speak about labor trafficking. You speak about being a male survivor. So I just want to give a shout out now, and I'll, I'll we'll link you in the show notes, of course, as well, uh, that you are an amazing trainer and expert, and you give a lot of great information in a variety of topics. And so excited for that. Today, we're only going to talk about one piece of that, which is the labor trafficking piece, and I'm thrilled that we could do that. So can you give us the baseline here? Can you talk to us about what is labor trafficking? What does it look like? Maybe you have a couple of case examples you can share. Just start laying the foundation there. Labor trafficking is so diverse. It's so it could be in so many ways in so many uh, places. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it before. No one labor trafficking do not discriminate age, mm. gender, uh, color. Mm-hmm. Any anybody can be a victim of labor trafficking, especially vulnerable population. And I do have a case that I mentioned to some friends last time about a guy from Brazil who speaks Portuguese and he got hired to work on a farm. So he left his country not because he wants to live, because of need. That's why many of us leave our home countries, because we need to, we have to, we have no other option or choice. So this guy got hired by a farmer. They, he gets the management position. And of course, because he has clear skin, green eyes, the stereotyping, right? And he has power over some uh, undocumented uh, immigrants from uh, Central and South America. So this guy 
And you know, being trafficked, uh, he was a victim also of labor trafficking. He was forced to do things he didn't want to do. Yeah. That's when he realized that he was doing the wrong thing. Even though he was in power, he wasn't getting beat until he needed to beat someone. He refused to beat someone and he, he got beat. That's when things changed. And many times labor trafficking, what happens is we go to the honeymoon. We meet our trafficker. Of course, he's really nice and sweet. And, you know, he wants the best for us. And he wants us to succeed and to be someone in life. And everything turns into a nightmare. And I have mentioned many times, a lot of immigrants, we come into the United States looking for the American dream. Unfortunately, we get trapped in that nightmare that is so, so complicated to leave or to escape. That's what happened to this, I'm going to call him Jose. That's not his real name. Yeah, yeah. But that's what happened to Jose. That it wasn't black and white, right? That you think in, in the sense of like, he, this is the victim, this is the trafficker, this is the situation, that it wasn't as clear in that situation. I really appreciate how you talked about, right, what decisions would you make to support your family? So can you share with us, would you be able to share with us, how did Jose get connected to that job or how did he find that person? Who offered him the job? Well, uh, I'm going to speak in my case. Uh, many times we find them on different jobs. That's what happens to me. I used to be a wash. I, I used to wash dishes when I got here, and I used to clean tables. So I found my tra- my trafficker found me. We don't found our traffickers. They found us, mm. and they select us. They see vulnerability on us. They know that immigrant population. They know where to find us. The jobs that we have, for example. And let, let's be honest and very clear, okay? And I'm probably, this is my opinion and what I have seen in the field in the past years that I've been in this in this movement. Many, many of restaurants in California will say between 80 and 90% people working in the kitchen is undocumented. And that's the reality. They charge cheaper, you pay cheaper labor. Mm-hmm. And of course, traffickers know where they at. Mm-hmm. Imagine you go get a coffee. The trafficker goes to... to it, well, my trafficker used to go to this restaurant, this restaurant every day where I was the, the dishwasher and I cleaned tables. He saw a young person vulnerable with a lack of language, lack of education. Remember, we all come in from a third world country. We don't have a college degree. We don't have a high school diploma. We can hardly read and write in our home language. So we are very vulnerable. And that's the lack of opportunity, not lack of capability. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So he made, he started making promises, a better job. Who wants to stay washing dishes for the rest of his life? Like I mentioned, you try to survive. You try to be better. So he offered me a job at an office. And of course, I took the job. He offers me uh, to save money. And why I was going to pay rent? Why didn't you move to my house? And I have an extra room there for you. It's separate from the house. He didn't know. He never told me that he didn't have any water in the restroom or anything to, to live comfortable. And of course, I saw an opportunity and I took it. Same thing as Jose. And like, I want to take a moment and pause on that and say, that's happening here. Like that isn't, that is happening here in our country, in your county, in your area. And when we talk about trafficking, a lot of times people say, oh, I live in a small town, so it like doesn't happen here. But this is exactly what we're talking about, right? Agricultural fields. Like, what a powerful opportunity for you to organize around this or keep an eye open for it in your area because this is precisely where you would intersect. Precisely. Yes, Kelly. And so, right, as I'm making this connection and just 
when I first learned about sex trafficking, what really blew me away was the moment when I was like, oh yeah, it's connected to my life in the sense of it is happening in my area. And so whenever an issue connects to your life, that's when we really can take hold of it and take action against it. Raphael, could you talk to us about the prevalence of labor trafficking in the U.S., where it's happening, what are some of the factors that talk about that? You talked a little bit about how it's kind of everywhere, anywhere, but don't know if you had any specific numbers or patterns that you could talk about. Uh, this is, uh, first of all, I'm going to start with my personal opinion, and I will say that because it is very personal. I have seen it. I've been traveling all over the United States from uh, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., to California, San Diego, Oregon, Michigan, and I've seen it everywhere. And I'm going to say it with a little fear, but it, it is my opinion, and I cannot be quiet. Silence is a crime, and I don't like to stay quiet anymore because I will end up being trafficked. Labor trafficking is the base of the economy, not only of this country, of many, many. And, and, and it is the reality. Where can we find it? Like I mentioned, restaurants. Look, at, look around you. Look at the restaurants where you go eat. Look at the farms, carnivals, where we take our kids to have fun. And it goes on and on and on. And I can give you an example of the nail salon. I was, uh, at one point, I went with the, the love of my life to the nail salon. And I noticed uh, something really uh, different. There was only Asian employees or workers, okay, in a very uncomfortable position doing the pedicure. You know, the chemicals. You, you have, Helen, have you get your nails done at one point or you probably do it yourself, you know, the smell, how strong it is. Mm-hmm. Imagine, I was at the salon. I'm not lying to you, probably four to five hours straight <laughs> sitting there. Just a party. So sitting there. And I pay attention to this Asian lady. Okay. She never crossed a word. She was just getting on, you know, this uh, almost bending over, doing the pedicure. Then she goes to the next lady, the next lady. On those five hours that I was there, I never saw the lady either taking a break, mm-hmm. speaking a word of English with someone. She would just smile. Mm-hmm. So that's where my wonder starts. Is that normal? First of all, we're already violating some labor laws because yeah. there's no break. There is no lunch. There's nothing. Five hours. And recognizing, right, it's making, it's watching those behaviors of like no break, exactly. not making eye contact, not even being social potentially with other workers not- or like, right, usually you make some sort of contact with the person you're. Even with the worker, yeah. even with the co-worker next to you, you will say something in your language. I remember working in Spanish, washing dishes and talking to a cook, at least making a joke or saying something stupid to him, mm-hmm. right? Nothing. No work. Just a straight yeah. head down, working, getting things done. Next lady, next lady. I was like, wow, that that's a red flag for mm-hmm. me. Here's the thing. I don't have to be a superhero. Mm-hmm. People doesn't need to be rescued. They need support. Mm. Love that. My job is just making the phone call to the National Human Traffic, and I make the report. I, it's not on my hands. I don't have control over mm-hmm. it. I'm just going to do what's on my knowledge and what's my capacity to do. And so I kind of want to I want to tie this up, and we touched on a couple of things throughout, but I'd love for you to, to kind of summarize how can we – how can professional drivers recognize it? So what are the signs that they're looking for? Maybe talking about uh, construction, continue to talk about agricultural fields, some of the of those other areas that they might intersect with them. And then we'll go into kind of what steps they can take. But how would they okay. recognize it? 
something um, that I've been thinking about it since our first call about truckers, and I, I know they have access to what we don't have, and it's the view. Mm-hmm. They're on top of everybody, and they can see things that nobody sees. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may get to meet people or go to the same farm, same town, because it's the route, right? Mm-hmm. From, let's say, uh, from Oregon to uh, Salinas, California, they move in tomato, they're moving, uh, transporting, uh, I- I'm not sure, mm-hmm. some produce. Something that they had to pay attention to is uh, how many people is living. They have a trailer, they have a little house, and they have a hundred workers in a little tiny room. How do they look? How are they dressing? And I know you may think we dress really poor to work on the farms, but when your shoes are broken, when you know that you don't even have a, 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 a hat or your hat is really old and you look really, you can tell there is something in your eyes that you look fatigued, they're sit down and it's hard to get up. Mm-hmm. You see, they are very skinny, like extremely skinny. Because there is one thing that you can be skinny. And there's another thing that you're super skinny. You haven't get lunch today and you're still working under the sun. Mm-hmm. Those are signs that they can pay attention. Another thing, um, bed box. That's, that's, that's a case in New York. And it's the big box case. Oh. They were farm workers. And the only reason that, that this thing happened is because they got to go to the doctor, this kid, especially this kid, big bugs all over their body. So they discovered that there were like 20 people sleeping on the same room full of yeah. uh, bites from bed, bed bugs. And it is those combination of red flags, right? There may be one reason for any one of those things, but it's paying attention. And that's what's great about the hotline, right? The hotline, you don't have to know for sure. You cannot know for sure, and you can still call them and let them know what you're seeing. Absolutely, Helen. That's amazing. And you don't have to call the cops. You just call the hotline. Especially when we're talking about potentially an immigrant population. And I don't know, would you say that the majority of labor trafficking victims in the U.S. are from other countries, or what have you seen? I I will tell you I was so wrong, so lost. When I... (laughs) When I decided to leave my situation, I was invited to a listen circle in Washington, D.C. Uh, my perspective of this issue was it's only Hispanic males that don't speak any English, undocumented. Yeah. And that's what I was expecting to see when I got to D.C. I get there and I was so wrong, Helen. It's not just undocumented. It was everybody. People with documents, citizens, residents, uh, HB1 visa workers, guest workers. Most 90% of the legal visas for guest workers are being trafficked. And that's a fact. That's, that was a study that was performed a few years ago. And, and it's real. That you can be taken advantage of even though technically you, even though you have documents. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's complicated. But I've seen this in the past, and I, I, I know many of, of labor trafficking is not just only undocumented immigrants. So then, do in terms of how people get out, do they end up like running away from a situation or getting a new job that actually is a job instead? Or how does that work? No, it's um, proper support. You offer, probably you can get referred to an agency. I haven't heard anybody, any case, 
that leaves this job or this trafficking situation and then they're working in the next month or in the next week, the next day, right. they, they, they go back to work. Now, it's so hard to trust and to be out there again, especially if you were getting also physically or sexually abused. Remember, when you're in the trafficking situation, uh, in my case, I was in the middle of nowhere in a house. So giving them the opportunity, present them what they can have access to. In my case, they just let me know, you know, do you know about human trafficking? And when they told me I was a victim of human trafficking, I was like, no, no, that doesn't exist. I was an ignorant person. I didn't have any information, any knowledge about human trafficking until the lady told me, look, Rafa, let me explain you the rules from the United States. And who who ended up saying that to you? Who made that connection? Well, uh, my trafficker really abused the wife. He beat the wife. And I got subpoenaed to court. I got access to a car. I was able to go to the store. I was free to go anywhere. And they asked me, why you never left? Because I was in fear. He threatened me. He will kill my son. He will kill my mom. He he knew everything about me. Remember, trust. Mm -hmm. He earned my trust. And I told him my whole life. He knew my life. So when I met this person, I got subpoenaed to court. This lady, I started explaining what was 21st century slavery. And I got a breakdown. And I was like, yes, that, that's actually what's happening. I remember testifying in court and I even lied in this tent because I was afraid because he was in front of me. After speaking with this lady, I was like, you know what? My life is that. And I said, well, existing the way I'm, I'm, my life is going, I'd rather die. So I decided to talk and I started speaking and I testified against him and I got moved to a safe house. Uh, uh, wow witness protection program, testify with the FBI, many more things that I got to go through. But it's the opportunity to let them know living under those circumstances is no living, it's existing. Like a broom, like a chair, like a table. But you're not living, buddy. And I took advantage. I decided to leave. That The power of that moment of like, you happen to be in the right place. She, she or they just happen to be in the right place to make that identification and make that move immediately to help you out of that situation to give you the resources yeah and and i love what and i loved your statement being informed being informed uh uh, this is what i love this 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 show that you invited me this postcard because truckers are going to be informed they are all over united states crossing borders seeing things that we don't see if they are informed i know Many of us, many Rafaels, Jose's, Marias, Pedros, mm-hmm. uh, Jones, I know they're going to have an opportunity and they are going to make it to their kids alive. Rafael, thank you so much for speaking today. I'm so glad that we could talk about this subject that we had not yet covered on this show. Uh, everyone who's listening, remember those signs that we talked about. Are you seeing kids working when they should be in school? Are you seeing someone who looks malnourished, maybe frightened? Are they making eye contact? Do they appear to have relationships or are they free to have relationships, communication with other people? If you're able to talk to someone, are they being paid? Are they able to leave? What do their living conditions look like? He gave us a ton of examples of what to look for and how we might intersect it in our regular everyday lives. So make sure to review this episode, share it with your friends and family members, rate and review our uh, our podcast because the more you do that, the more other listeners can find it. I do want to recommend Tat actually has a labor trafficking brochure as well, specifically talking about intersections between professional drivers and labor trafficking and how you might intersect with it to report it. 
So check it out under our resources tab. You can look under our materials page, or we specifically have a page about labor trafficking. As a professional driver, you are the eyes and ears of our highways and our businesses because you cover all of this ground because you are the everyday heroes. You truly are driving freedom.